The ARA acknowledges the traditional owners of the land where we have recorded this podcast, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, and we pay our respects to the Elders past, present, and recognise Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders as Australia's first traders, who utilise a sophisticated network of trading paths that have facilitated the exchange of goods, knowledge and culture for millennia. Hi, I'm Paul Zara, CEO of the Australian Retailers Association, and welcome to Retail Therapy, a podcast proudly brought to you by American Express. The ARA is Australia's largest and oldest retail association, representing around 7,500 independent national and international members. Each episode, I'll be chatting with a leader in Australia's retail industry right here in the Amex Lounge, including the CEOs of some of the biggest retailers in Australia and across the globe. We'll be finding out what makes them tick, what defines their leadership style, and how they got to the top of their game. So join me for some retail therapy as we ask these questions and more and navigate our way through the retail industry, Australia's largest private sector employer. For more information about the work we do at the Australian Retailers Association, head to our website, retail.org.au. Joining me for some retail therapy today in the Amex Lounge is Sally Cap, the Lord Mayor of Melbourne. This is a slight change of pace from our previous podcast series, where we've been speaking to retail business leaders. But as Melbourne, Lord Mayor Sally and her team play an important role in supporting business growth in the Melbourne CBD and to help small business navigate the ongoing challenges of the COVID pandemic. So I'm delighted to have Sally with me today. Sally, welcome. Thank you, Paul. Lovely to join you. Let's start off with the issue that won't go away, COVID, the big C word. We're all sick of talking about it. It's fair to say the Melbourne CBD has been the most impacted when it comes to our capital cities. Four lockdowns so far during the pandemic. How is the city coping at the moment? Well, look, thank you for asking. And I think I'm like you. I can't wait until I don't have to say the C word anymore. And in some ways, we use pre-COVID, post-COVID, are we in the middle of COVID? It's just one of those situations, of course, unprecedented in our lifetimes. And it's it creates so much uncertainty to know exactly where are we on this COVID journey. But in Melbourne, we've certainly shown that we know what it takes we know what to do and we respond well to the restrictions that are put in place. It's the bounce back. We call it now. We're in bounce back number four. It is about bringing back the buzz. The business community here has shown how ingenious and resilient they are. Our locals have shown us how proud of the city they are and how they do come back relatively quickly And our big focus is on getting our worker population back. But the fundamentals of why Melbourne is marvellous are still here. And as we continue to see restrictions ease, the public responds in a very positive way. It's certainly been a stop-start, stop-start for business in Melbourne as lockdowns come and go. Do you think that's the right approach to managing the virus? Could there be a better way in Victoria to keep business open while managing the health risks? Well, I know that's a loaded question, Paul. Uh, So let me say that, of course, we would have loved for there to be options that did not mean that our business owners and their teams uh, were having to uh, close completely, were having to pirouette their businesses into online and takeaways uh, where we could continue to build up confidence and momentum. I think 
the biggest issue has been the the lack of confidence that the the pandemic has created and that's for business owners and customers and that's what we see happening each day from our perspective is it it is about looking forward and we really feel that we have to get everybody behind the vaccine and the vaccination program uh, because that ultimately is going to be the only way that we have uh, the confidence about the future. It is also about confidence to welcome workers back to Australia, welcome international students back. Uh, and retrospect will, I think, hope, well, it has to, it has to help us understand what we could have done better so that if we ever have to experience anything like this before, we do do it better. But bounce back number four and building up that confidence and bringing people back is where our focus is. I completely agree. I think the, you know, the CBD office occupancy rate has been disappointing because it's sitting around 45% and people are pretty reluctant to come into the city to work and shop with the COVID threat still ongoing. You've introduced, you've been a big part to play in the, the FOMO Friday campaign. That's all about enticing people back into the city. What other, me- what other measures do we need to be looking at to revitalise the CBD? Mm. Well, look, we're really learning uh, some interesting things at the moment. Uh, Public transport remains a big uh, barrier in a way because of the hesitancy to use public transport. Pre-COVID, about 75% of our daily population came in by public transport, but usage at the moment is still in the sort of 40%. As you mentioned, office workers are at around the 45%. Um, We have seen restrictions now easing to allow 75% return. And uh, and so we're we're really looking at the momentum to bring people back. So, Paul, FOMO Friday is a brilliant initiative and thank you so much for your leadership in uh, in that program because that sense of workers retail, hospitality, culture and entertainment, we know now they're inextricably intertwined and that's what's a real differentiator about the city as a destination for retail is that uh, symbiotic relationship Mm. with workers. So as we see uh, the restrictions ease, things like FOMO Fridays but also initiatives such as Melbourne Money, which is a 20% discount on dining, we, we can see the uplift in our pedestrian foot traffic directly related to programs such as this. Uh, at the moment, it is really driving more in the weekend and evening foot traffic. We're seeing our weekend traffic this past weekend at 80% of pre-COVID levels, so back to... Wow. 2019 levels and that's very heartening from our perspective uh, and also for our retailers but it is important um, that we continue to look at the worker uh, traffic. Can I just give you a little look forward though Paul because we are in this transition stage and we are finding that new rhythm to working and what does it mean for CBD locations but if we look at the forward planning for the city today alone I have been to two sod turnings one of them was for a major office development 1.9 billion dollar building the biggest since uh, the pandemic started uh, in terms of a brand new project and uh, another one which is hotel retail hospitality 
And uh, those investors, those builders are very confident about that future of the city. That's why they're investing into our CBD. Those projects are still four years away, uh, but they've got great pre-sales and great commitments. And I think we really need to focus on the fact that we will get there and how quickly we can move through this transition uh, is important for uh, yeah that sense of pace as we go forward. Mm. Uh, according to some reports, it may take up to a, about a decade for Melbourne to recover. What do you think the future looks like for our CBDs and for a city like Melbourne? Will there ever be a return to normal life like it was pre-COVID? I think it'll be um, instead of return to normal, we say we want to gallop to the extraordinary. Uh, this is time for a reset, for renewal, for renaissance and that's why um, we know that there is a lot of hardship as a result of the pandemic. We're very pragmatic. It's where most of our programs are focused. But I think we're also trying to create that sense of excitement. In fact, our city vision for the next four years is city of possibility. You know, you rarely get a chance to do a reset. So let's make the most of it and let's yeah. really incorporate more of our uh, aspirations for the city into what that future looks like. And we do have an opportunity to do that. So for us, that means a really big focus on creativity um, on our and, and every form of that from new digital innovations and biomed research through to performers and artists and cultural festivals. Uh, it also means embracing technology for new ways of working. Uh, but it, it does it's still pivotal that we understand that we're human beings. We love to get together with other human yes. beings. It's good for us for mental, emotional uh, uh, health. And, Paul, um, some of the early studies are showing, and this is um, work from overseas as well, that while an individual's productivity uh, can be maintained in remote working environments, team creativity and organisational growth happens when people come together. And it's the serendipity of what happens in cities, that collision of, of talent and opportunity and investment that cannot be replicated uh, at scale in other places. So we feel confident about the future of the city. The studies like 10 years actually seem way too long given the evidence that we're seeing in terms of uh, what's happening with employment rates, what's happening with investment. And whilst, yes, there's a period of adjustment, we're certainly seeing that bounce back happen uh, at fairly healthy rates. So um, we are acknowledging it's a time of transition, but we are encouraging a sense of excitement and hope about what the future holds. Well, that's, um, it's pleasing to hear all that, um, Lord Mayor. I think it gives us some hope, actually, to see Melbourne come back the way you describe it. And I think you've certainly got a, a, all credit to you. You're a class act with what you've put together. And uh, we're really impressed uh, watching uh, Melbourne um, go through the bounce backs that it has. And, um, you know, we, we, we're watching very closely. I think there's a lot, lot at stake. So everybody wants mm. to make sure that it works really well. Now, enough about the virus. I think let's talk about, about you. What was life like growing up for Sally Cap? Oh, what a great question. Well, uh, a lot more freedom in those days. Uh, absolutely no social media or uh, telecommunications abilities for our parents to keep tabs on us in any way, shape or form. Uh, so as long as we were home before dark, 
uh, we were uh, on the tear, got a sister and a brother. Uh, we grew up in a, a community, a suburb called Burwood, uh, which was almost semi-rural in those days. I'm embarrassed to say I've been around that long. And uh, we literally were on the tear from the moment school finished till, till dark on our bikes, uh, on horses, uh, and uh, just generally creating as much trouble and havoc uh, and fun uh, around the neighbourhood. And I, I look back on that um, uh, with, with a lot of happy memories. But the other thing for us, Paul, is that we grew up, uh, my siblings and I, with parents who both had their own businesses. Uh, my dad's a real estate agent. My mum had uh, retail stores. And uh, we worked on Saturday mornings. We worked in shifts after school. Uh, and um, it was very much that 24-7 aspect of owning your own business. Um, there's There are pressures that come with that uh, and there are also many pleasures and pride that come with that. But there's no doubt that you are constantly on. Phone calls would come through when the alarm at mum's shop would go off at 3 a.m. in the morning. Mostly it was a possum, but sometimes it was a burglary. Um, my dad in real estate, very limited times were allowed on the phone because that was his, uh, that was his way of dealing with his customers. Uh, and so, um, I think it was a really great way to, to grow up because we sense, we felt a sense of being the masters of our own destiny, but we also grew up with a sense of the hard work it takes to achieve success. Now, you've held numerous roles and worn many hats. Agent General for Victoria and the UK, Europe and Israel, CEO of the Committee for Melbourne, CEO for the Victorian Chamber of Commerce and Industry, Executive Director of the Property Council of Australia, senior roles at both KPMG and ANZ. Uh, how did this all lead to local politics and you becoming Lord Mayor? What a good question, Paul. <laughs> uh, wow. Well, firstly, I think uh, you reading all of those out uh, in terms of different parts of my career shows that I am somebody that uh, has absolutely jumped at new opportunities. I've jumped across sectors. I've also had my own business uh, uh, during my career. And um, I, sometimes I look at it as opportunistic, but I do know that I've made the most of every single role I've been in to give myself the best chance for sort of an exponential next step. And I've all, I'm also somebody, and this is how I grew up as well, that was really comfortable to have a go. So really put myself outside the comfort zone and try new and different things. And it's worked so well for me in terms of the breadth of experiences uh, that I've had. I know that when it came to being involved in local government, a couple of things. One, I didn't really know much about local government and I've become uh, a real champion for uh, this tier of government because we are so closely connected to community and the breadth of services uh, and programs we provide is truly stunning. So I'm, I, but I have to admit, I was an absolute novice when it came to local government. But what had built up over my career was a very, very strong sense of connection to Melbourne, a pride about our city and over time a sense that I needed to be and I should be more involved in shaping the future of our community and economy. And, of course, as you do more roles and, and uh, more experience you have, uh, your ability to make impact uh, increases. And so it was really the coming together 
of those aspects and my absolute passion for this wonderful city that inspired me to put my hand up for a role that I'd never contemplated before. Mm. I've got to go back to the, the, the point around you being Agent General. It sounds like an undercover spy. Exactly what was that role? Oh, that is so funny you say that. I used to start so many of my speeches overseas uh, with uh, with the line that uh, it's like being a character out of an Austin Powers movie. Um, uh, so uh, I am uh, really the role of Agent General was originally the representative for Victoria back into the UK pre-Federation and then post-Federation. I'm so pleased that those roles continued because they're very much trade and investment roles. And uh, Now you are giving focus- your age away, you know that, don't you? You are, giving, you are giving your age away when you say pre-federation. I, I am, I am. Um, I wasn't there at the time, but I do know <laughs> a bit about it, Paul. Uh, so trade and investment, and what was fantastic is uh, you are representing uh, businesses into, for my in my case, uh, markets across Europe and Israel, uh, but you're also providing uh, the connection for businesses uh, based over there back into our local markets. And given that the uh, given that the European market was quite mature and well known to many businesses here, the focus of my work was really in attracting businesses into the Melbourne market to create new jobs, to bring new technology and know how, and to extend networks. Uh, and opportunities and I absolutely loved it everything from recycling and renewable energy um, big infrastructure companies uh, and then a few retailers along the way Paul. Mm. Well it sounds like a lot of that skill set's what you use in your current role today so it sounds like it was quite beneficial for you um, given your role today is quite diverse in what you've got to handle. Yes, very good stomping ground uh, for the role today. And there is a diversity. Uh, We've got six elements to our council plan, so six strategic objectives, and it gives you a sense of everything from, of course, a focus being the economic recovery of our city, but through to a very strong investment in Melbourne uh, as a unique place and that sense of identity uh, and, of course, looking at uh, responses to climate change, uh, city safety uh, and overall community wellness uh, and uh, mental health. That just gives you an idea Whenever I, well, when I first started talking to people about local government and this opportunity as Lord Mayor, people would say, oh, roads, rates and rubbish. Right. But goodness me, we run um, maternal health classes and the libraries and the rec centres uh, through to being able to create significant impact on retail strategies for the mm. future and have an, an enormous influence uh, on our local economy. I deal with the PM through to the local florist shop owner right outside Town Hall uh, and it gives you a sense of uh, how it's it's not just that we're involved in that, we're involved because those elements are connected to delivering good outcomes in our community so it's important that we are across uh, all of those elements. We work with a great team and, of course, um, at local government, you absolutely have to collaborate and cooperate if you want to achieve good things. Absolutely. Now, diversity, equality, inclusion are important issues for us at the ARA. What were your experiences like navigating the corporate world in what is really a male-dominated industry? 
Yes, well, I uh, do remember back to the days of literally being the only woman uh, in business environments. I remember pretty early on a, a senior, I started as a lawyer and um, a senior partner in the law firm turning to me after a meeting and telling me that nobody really gave an F what I thought. Uh, and uh, that was sort of the summary of uh, how I was made to feel in, in that environment. Um, but, you know, resilience and having a go and persisting, making some mistakes, but being determined to keep trying to keep knocking on those doors uh, and to keep pushing through have also been incredibly positive uh, experiences for me, um, testing my own personal boundaries. Uh, but also making sure I've pushed as many buttons as I can on the way through because it makes you realise that every single person has the opportunity to contribute to positive change. Uh, and when it comes to issues of inclusion and diversity, we're relying on every single person to buy into uh, and support change and also to get in behind those who have the courage to demand change and it's given me some fantastic perspectives on the sort of courage that it takes of those individuals that truly do stand up to demand equity and equality. Uh, and I, the huge respect I have uh, for those people and the desire now to support more of that. So what do you think are the biggest barriers for women in the workforce right now? If you reflect on your career, um, what would they be? Well, it saddens me that we're still having the same sorts of conversations, but I can say that the pace of change is definitely quickening and that is uh, is positive. It comes down to uh, some of the same premises. It is about respect. It is about things like equal pay. Uh, it is uh, it, it does come back to fundamentals about how women... Uh, and frankly, anybody that's perceived to be different is not, it's not about acceptance or tolerance. It's actually about inclusion and welcoming and belonging uh, and changing mindsets about that. For me, it's always been highlighting the value that comes from that. And let's face it, one of the strengths of Melbourne, one of the things that I promoted when I was Agent General is our multiculturalism, mm -hmm. is about that diversity. It brings, uh, you know, different thinking brings a breadth of, of opportunity and uh, and we need to be doing more uh, to encourage that. So there are some things that haven't changed. I mean, well, we shouldn't still be talking about equal pay, but what has changed, I think, is an understanding about equity, uh, the need to actually invest more for certain people and certain groups and certain situations until we can see equality and uh, a recognition that diversity really makes everyone better. This isn't about some groups being uh, better or more deserving uh, than others. This is about actually how we improve Melbourne for everyone and uh, I think workplaces are seeing more of that and I think my experience in local government has been that we've still got some a way to go to catch up to some of the corporate environments I've worked mm. in. Well, when you think about the role of government in addressing issues of gender equality and providing greater opportunities for women, what, what would your 
reflections be there? Because government does have a role to play, as does industry, that does, oh, does business. So Incredibly what, important. What, I mean, we, yeah. we need to be exemplary in, in how we go about it. And I think in some ways government has led policies around maternity leave, for example, uh, where governments have absolutely led the way. Uh, but in other ways, policies around workplace culture uh, and the sorts of uh, behaviours um, ha- haven't had as much spotlight on them as, as say, uh, some corporate environments. Also things um, around targets. Some parts of government have absolutely led mm. the way on targets and we've seen the results uh, and others we've still got some work to do. I think all of us recognise that no workplace is perfect uh, and there'll always be areas for improvement. And I think reaching out to learn from each other, certainly um, here at the City of Melbourne at the moment, a really big emphasis around our reconciliation work with our traditional custodians and reaching out to other organisations to learn more about what they're doing, what's worked well mm. and what hasn't, and working more directly and governing with our traditional custodians is really starting to change the paradigm But a lot of that comes from acknowledging and being able to say we aren't doing this well and we want help and we're opening our organisation up to being vulnerable in that way is absolutely paramount to seeing change in in more uh, significant ways. Now, you raised some really good points there. Uh, If you had any advice for younger people, particularly young women starting out in their careers, what would it be? Mm. Well, I look back on my career, Paul, and I realised that it, it didn't, it wasn't until much later that I felt comfortable to be truly authentic in who I was. Because you walk into workplace cultures and there are the rules of the, the schoolyard, as they say, the, the unspoken, the unwritten rules. And you pick those up really quickly. And, and when I was younger, uh, I played those games. I, I, you know, I, I understood uh, uh, what the rules were and, and I was uh, playing the, the boys' rules, if you like. I think increasingly now for leadership it's important that every individual feels comfortable to be themselves. And it really that really stuck out for me uh, when I was running for uh, Lord Mayor uh, in many, many ways uh, that it was so important to really be yourself because when you do that, you give permission for everyone around you mm. to do the same thing and the power of that is enormous and I think we've understated that for a long time by trying to fit into certain moulds that we see as part of that runway to success. And so I'm really encouraging people to own their individuality as early as possible and I I understand that sometimes comes with with dangers and backlash and consequences, uh, but I'm really encouraging here for our workplace to be uh, a space in which people feel comfortable to be themselves because that leadership uh, is actually what is going to improve this, the, the pace of change. Uh, and um, and I'm, I'm just look at young people and the way they have fewer inhibitions uh, than I certainly did, and I'm I'm really encouraged by what the future holds. Well, now let's talk a bit more about leadership. Did it come naturally to you, or were you naturally ambitious growing up? 
interesting because I've always thought ambition is a fabulously positive word, but it was often used against me, Paul, uh, in my early days. And uh, I, I really embrace ambition because for me, when I see people striving to be their best or to even be better than someone else, I, I really feel excited about the energy that creates. Um, of course, that has to be done in positive ways, and I think it can be. Mm. Uh, but that sense of ambition uh, was certainly in me from a very young age with two working parents in their own businesses. Boy, you've got to have guts to do that. Um, and raise three kids at the same time. We really lived out in that risk, uh, risk-taking mode. Uh, so I have a really good appreciation for it. But I also have, um, therefore, a very good risk appetite myself. And um, and I, I really do encourage more of that. One of the great things I took out of my experience in Israel is that appetite for risk what it means around uh, a fear of failure or lack of a fear mm. of failure. But, but what really stood out for me is the learning that comes from failures, and that's been a hallmark of my career, that have-a-go attitude and understanding that with risk comes the best learning. Mm. And I remember being in a presentation in Israel with a very successful businessman and I was doing a pitch and my slide deck was all of the most brilliant things I could think of. And as I started, I think I was in slide three, he said, um, please tell me that you've included here your best five failures. And it, wow. I was stunned. Mm. I said, of course it doesn't have any of my failures. <laughs> what do you mean? And he said, well, I only back people who can tell me about their best failures and what they learnt because to me that is the sign that they will be more successful going forward. Good point, good point. I mean, look, so, so out of that um, response, I guess, ambition is not a dirty word. You would agree with that? Oh, um, of course not. We've all and, got to be um, ambitious for ourselves absolutely. personally and our organisations. You know, and also um, that you know, that failure, as long as it, it it leads to learning, then it's a good thing as well. It's got to be, and frankly, um, in places like Israel, they see that as as a sort of a slingshot catapult uh, impact. If you've learned from failures, you sort of ten steps ahead of where you were because those mistakes and learning from mistakes are less likely to happen into the future. And we've got to embrace more of those cultures and that sense of ambition and that it's it's okay to fail and to encourage more people uh, from uh, those experiences into that sense of catapulting us to something better. Any regrets in your career? Well, it's a good question because I have made lots of mistakes myself and <laughs> I've had my fair share of humiliating failures, Paul. Uh, but given what I've just said, I don't look back on regrets uh, at all. And I am one of these people that have jumped at new opportunities perhaps when others wouldn't. And as, as you read out that list earlier, I thought, wow, I mean, it's led to um, some incredible personal and professional development to be able to do that. So I'm a really big embracer of the different and the new and the scary Mm. Uh, and a sense that um, that it's going to enrich me in different ways, even when it's led to humiliation and failure. When I first set out to start my own business, Paul, I had a lot of knockbacks and realised 
um, thankfully pretty quickly that I was making so many mistakes that I'd been advising others not to do as a lawyer and I jumped in to do exactly the same thing myself. I didn't have a proper business plan. I couldn't provide certainty. I hadn't thought about legal consequences uh, and all of those questions and no's that came back to me uh, were uh, humiliating, jarring, and sometimes I felt completely downtrodden, uh, but I was pretty quickly able to realise uh, that if I addressed those um, and, and went back, um, that I would be well received, and I was. So there's an example. Um, some initial failure in starting my own business actually led to some good outcomes in the longer term. Yeah. So what does the future hold for you? You were re-elected Law Mayor last November. Do you see yourself staying in the role for as long as you can? Is it Sally Cat for Prime Minister? What's next? <laughs> <laughs> well, I am so consumed by the current tasks, uh, and I'm not saying that just for a politician's answer, Paul, literally overwhelmingly seven days a week at the moment, that focus on the rejuvenation of Melbourne uh, and a, a real belief in what we are doing, but also a sense that it's an enormous effort every day for people to open their doors in our little businesses around the city for them to not just keep their teams employed, but to keep them feeling positive and confident so that they stay and they pass on that, that sense of energy to customers as they walk in the door. It's, it feels like, um, you know, that sense you wake up in the morning, almost the groundhog day. You've got that same weight to lift each morning and making sure that I'm instilling as much energy, as much support uh, and as much hope into that effort that our business owners particularly are facing every day is an absolute focus. And uh, for me, there is no greater or better challenge uh, for Sally Cap at the moment. And I feel honoured to be able to feel purposeful in that way every day. Lord Mayor, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today. Thank you for joining us for some retail therapy. All the best for the ongoing COVID recovery for Melbourne and keep up the great work. Thanks, Thanks, Paul. And thanks so much for your leadership. It's just terrific working with you and your members. Thanks for joining us on the Amex Lounge for some retail therapy. Make sure you subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify. We can be found wherever you listen to your favourite podcasts. For more information about the work we do at the Australian Retailers Association, head to our website, retail.org.au. Follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter or Instagram, wherever you love to connect. All the links can be found in the show notes. I can't wait to talk retail therapy with Australia's retail leaders and share these conversations with you, the future leaders, business owners and innovators of the industry.